Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Well, what it's going to mean uh, is is a bigger, uh, a broader uh, licensing framework and potentially a single licensing framework so that uh, new providers don't have to talk to the Reserve Bank and or APRA and or ASIC uh, and or the ACCC, that there'll be a, uh, a, a simpler licensing framework depending upon whether the uh, provider uh, is looking at small payments or large payments. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher, I'm the editor of the GRC Institute. And today we have David Jacobson from Brightlaw. Hi, David, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Kwame. Uh, so today we're going to have a little bit of a chat about the Australian payment system. And I know that's a very broad umbrella, but there have been quite a few changes, I think, in terms of um, this has been code of conduct, I think, with the e-payments. There's just been a, a whole raft of things and changes coming through. So I thought we'd stop, start very broadly and get a sense of what is changing in this really complex ecosystem, like major things, if we could narrow it down to a few critical issues. Look, I think the first thing, Kwame, is to understand uh, why there is regulation of the payment system. And, and the first reason is consumer protection. Second reason is to ensure there's competition. And lastly, to make sure it's efficient. And I think that, you know, we take for granted nowadays that when people transfer money to each other, there'll be real-time payment uh, and that it'll be secure. And what's happened, certainly over the last 10, 15 years, uh, is that uh, we've moved from a system where it was standard to expect that any transfer of money could take, between the banks, could take 10, 15 days unless you paid for an urgent uh, transfer, which, you know, to get it same day. So the technology uh, has uh, played a, a role in it. Uh, and what's happened is that uh, we're moving from a system of where the banks basically control the payment system uh, to a situation of where uh, there are other regulators besides APRA, which regulates the banks, uh, and other methods of technology. So we've got um, pro uh, providers who uh, provide non-cash payment services. Uh, they're regulated by ASIC under an AFSL licence. Uh, the Reserve Bank also has a role in monitoring payment systems. Austrac is also involved in regulating payments, obviously, uh, in particularly in terms of anti-money laundering and anti-terrorism payments. And then there's an e-payments code which governs electronic payments. So the payment system uh, is, is heavily regulated, but even more so now when there's new methods of technology that are uh, involved. And we've moved from a situation of where uh, there's um, no regulation, and which means that funds are at risk for the consumers, to a situation of potentially uh, more regulation. And when you think about it, there's you know, stored value cards, there's offshore transactions, as well as bank accounts, non-bank accounts, credit cards, uh, and a whole range of new technologies that are around, then that make up that makes up the uh, the uh, payment uh, uh, system. So it's both cash, which is reducing obviously in volume, checks, uh, and uh, non-cash uh, uh, methods make up the system. And then you've got things like digital wallets, like Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, PayPal, prepaid cards, uh, they're all part of the payment system, uh, in addition to the traditional MasterCard and Visa card. 
Uh, and uh, so, you know, what's happened is there's the need to have some method of uh, protecting consumers uh, uh, in that, and, and uh, that's that's the big uh, the big change. A, a more what they call a broadening or expanding of the payments ecosystem uh, to allow new technologies. Yeah. So, with all those sort of, I guess, increasing regulation coming from different regulators and that sort of fast-moving pace technology and different ways to pay. Um, if you can think of it as a Venn diagram, I imagine there are definitely some gaps and maybe some areas that the diagram doesn't quite lap over. So what are some of the regulatory gaps, um, the potential regulatory well, gaps that exist there? Yeah, the gaps, particularly those that the Reserve Bank have been looking at, are things like interchange fees and merchant service fees. So if you you know go to make a payment at, at a merchant, you know, there's an issue as of whether or not your payment is going over what they call the least cost routing system, uh, where the system decides what's the least cost to the consumer for the transaction you want to perform. And there's the issue of merchant service fees. Is it, uh, uh, is it uh, a transaction where you have to go through your bank and potentially there's a, a larger uh, cost? So there's that sort of issue. There's also the issue of surcharges. So are you making a transaction where uh, the merchant is going to add uh, a cost to the transaction for you, even if it's a a fairly modest cost. Um, there's the issue of digital wallets. They're not regulated currently. Uh, there's the issue of what role cash is going to play in the future. There's the issue of what role checks are going to play in the future because these days you can, you know, hard to find a bank branch if you, if you want to make a, a check deposit. So although there's some machines that'll take check deposits. So, you know, there's the issue of uh, direct debits, uh, which come out of uh, uh, your account. And, and how are they managed uh, and uh, controlled by the consumer? Say, if a consumer wants to stop a, uh, a transaction coming out of their account, how do they do that? So there's all sorts of gaps that were identified in, in the payment system that have uh, uh, still to be uh, dealt with and, and are identified currently, but they haven't resolved necessarily. Sure. And I guess from a business side, um, those who are dealing with the payments, with these changes, these broad sweeping changes and uplift, would they have an impact in, I guess, the compliance systems and structures, or is this something that businesses have been on the front foot of all along? It's really difficult if you've got a, uh, a new fintech business to identify what you have to do to comply has become very difficult because, because of the gaps. So in terms of whether uh, you have to do something that uh, is going to protect consumers in terms of the rules for your uh, offering, uh, whether there's going to be a competition risk. Are you going to be blocked from doing what you want to do because the banks perceive you as, as being uh, too much competition? Uh, is it a situation of ASIC, a concern that the way you advertise is misleading? Uh, so, you know, new, uh, whilst the uh, regulators and governments talk about innovation, often innovation means uh, confronting uh, new methods of payment services that haven't been identified before uh, or bring new risks to uh, consumers. So that's, that's a, a big issue. Yeah. yeah. And I guess another thing I should have asked earlier, but also the question, one of the things I saw from recommendations was the expansion of definition of payment systems. Is that going to be problematic at all or is that going to be helpful? Well, what it's going to mean uh, is, is a bigger, uh, a broader a uh, licensing framework and potentially a single licensing framework so that uh, 
new providers don't have to talk to the Reserve Bank and or APRA and or ASIC uh, and or the ACCC, that there'll be a, uh, a, a simpler licensing framework depending upon whether the uh, provider uh, is looking at small payments or large payments uh, and looking at whether or not their stored value, you know, cards involved, uh, and depends whether or not, uh, uh, also whether or not they're a data recipient for the, under the new consumer data rights uh, scheme. So it depends uh, what information the uh, provider is accessing uh, and the target market they have uh, in terms of consumers uh, and how they see their interaction with uh, uh, with uh, with banks. So uh, uh, there'll be potentially a broader licensing system and more transparent. Yeah, sure. So one of the things that I saw highlighted in recommendations again, and in the conversation that we had before this podcast is a bit on digital currencies and yes. um, changes for them. So, so what are the implications for di digital currencies now? Because I know there have been a bit of a, a question in many other areas like AML and stuff like that and how they're regulated and how they're focused upon. Yeah, so let's define digital currency or cryptocurrency. Yes. Yes. Basically, it's a type of currency. They only exist in digital rather than physical form. So it's not coins or notes. Uh, it can be exchanged for goods, services or physical currency, but it isn't issued under the authority of a government. So if you take a, a bank note, uh, that's issued by, by the government. Uh, digital currency isn't. It's uh, outside of, of government uh, uh, control and it's only digital. So what the uh, the government is firstly trying to do is to work out how to regulate it. And just only in the, the last few weeks, they put out proposals to consider a, uh, a regulatory system for digital currency uh, in terms of, of uh, who's going to regulate it and what the rules are that, that are going to apply to it. So the government's been stung. If you've seen recent consumer affairs reports about people who have been, they think they've been investing in cryptocurrency or investing in uh, exchange uh, uh, providers who exchange uh, physical money uh, for cryptocurrency uh, and they've turned out to be scams. So what the government and the regulators are looking at now is some way of licensing these uh, providers uh, and not just in terms of the anti-money laundering issue, which is uh, the current focus, but broadening it to uh, greater consumer protection. Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess, do you have any, I guess, concerns or any things that you see coming on the horizon in the Australian payments system that maybe you're interested in or you think people should be talking about more? Well, one of the, um, the most important uh, regulatory uh, methods for what we call electronic payments is the payments code and it's not a law as such but it's it's uh, regulated by ASIC uh, and what it deals with is the uh, electronic payments which are made through ATMs uh, automatic telling machines online payments FPOS transactions credit debit card transactions internet and mobile banking so they're all the things that you don't go into a bank branch for but you can you know you Often, or mostly these days, most things would be done either on your phone uh, or on the uh, internet, mobile banking, uh, less ATMs these days. So the e-payments code is really important. And what's happened uh, in, in more recent times is there's been the identification of flaws uh, in uh, uh, 
in what what's being regulated and how it's regulated. So what's happening now, we have the new payments platform, and that was originally designed to deal with real-time money transfers. And it, it basically uh, allows uh, non-bank participants to access uh, the transfer system through APIs, which the banks traditionally didn't uh, want people to get access to. So ePayments covers a contactless payments. Uh, it covers uh, the use of biometrics, two-factor authentication, uh, in addition to you know, the normal passcodes and pins. And what, what the ePayments code focuses on and the flaws that were uh, identified were things like unauthorised transactions. What happens when um, you get a call, and I have had a call in the middle of the night saying, did you recently uh, do a, a card transaction from Texas in America? And I said, no, I'm here uh, in Australia. Uh, and how that is dealt with, because what happens now is the bank will say, if it's your bank, they'll say, oh, well, we're going to have to freeze your, uh, your card for a week until we uh, replace it. Um, and, and we'll you know, reinstate uh, any uh, debits to your account. So there's those sort of things. But also at the other end, if someone uh, makes a trans transaction on the internet and gets a wrong account number or gets a wrong ID, what happens there? Uh, so the payments code has been reviewed to deal with things like mistaken internet payments and complaints handling uh, in order to uh, protect uh uh, consumers better. So what the first thing that ASIC has said they're going to do is extend the code, not just to cover uh, FPOS and direct uh, uh, entry and direct credits, but also to cover new payment tr uh, platform transactions. Uh, but what they're not going to do is there was some argument about whether unauthorised transactions covered uh, card scheme chargeback. So sometimes if you, you'll do a MasterCard transaction, for example, and you've bought a, a product which is a lemon, you go to MasterCard and say, well, you know, we, that was a dud, we were conned, we, don't, we want our, uh, our transaction reversed. And they may or may not be able to do that because they might be out of time. Uh, and the code uh, is going to distinguish between that sort of transaction and what they call unauthorised transactions. Um, and also the code... Uh, it's going to be, uh, in terms of mistaken internet payments, it's going to be clarified so that it only covers actual mistakes in inputting an account identifier, say like the account number, and it won't extend to payments made to a scammer. So what consumers have said is, well, you know, we've been conned, we've made a payment uh, to a scammer, uh, but we thought uh, it was a legitimate account. And ASIC have said, well, we don't think the uh, e-payments code is designed to cover that. It's only designed to cover situations where you put it, have an inputting error. So there's all sorts of grey areas still up for uh, uh, debate, but uh, there's certainly gaps in the system and gaps in protection for consumers uh, that uh, uh, people are still going to uh, be concerned about. Yeah, sure. So coming down to the end, um, do you have any words of wisdom for those participating in the payment systems and who those who want to be on the front foot and make sure they are compliant and they're doing the best thing for the consumers at the same time? Yeah. So if you're a new entrant into the consumer, into the payment system, first thing you've got to know is, is who you're interacting with and, and what protections uh, uh, they're given and what you need to do in terms of licensing or compliance. So it's... Uh, you basically need to know if you're transferring money, uh, how is that authorised? 
who you need to report to, uh, is your product something that is going to be regulated or not, uh, and uh, how it's going to work. So sometimes it becomes very technical. Uh, it's certainly more obvious if you uh, need to report to Austrac for anti-money laundering transactions, but sometimes in terms of whether you need to do with ASIC or the Reserve Bank um, and APRA, uh, it's less clear, uh, particularly if you're a, you, know, you have a small niche uh, in the market, which only deals with businesses or whether you deal with the public. So I think the uh, as we go forward, uh, there's going to be some clarification, but still, as new technologies develop, you need to have that in mind about, well, where do you fit into the system and what do you need to do? Well, thank you so much, time, so much for your time today, David. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary.